And uh, it was that t- at that time that the board of directors had the insight to say, you know, we need to change, like fundamentally change in order to be successful in, in, in what's coming. Welcome back to the High Impact Physician Podcast. Today, Sandy's talking with the CEO at the Oregon Medical Group, Dr. Karen Weiner. They will be sharing some awesome stories and examples that demonstrate the importance of physician-led changes. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks so much for listening. So to get started, why don't you tell our listeners a bit more about who you are and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Well, I am a pediatrician by training, and um, I started practice back in 97, straight out of residency, came to the organization uh, where I am today, Oregon Medical Group, and practiced full-time pediatrics for about 15, 16 years. And then there came a point where I sort of was looking around and seeing that my colleagues were really struggling and really frustrated, and and we are a physician-owned group, and I thought, gosh, if we can't if we can't figure this out together, then you know who can? And so I was inspired to step into a leadership role at that point um, because I thought that maybe I could help. I uh, didn't know what I was doing, but uh, <laughs> there's a will, there's a way. So I stepped in and, and uh, became initially the medical director and then chief medical officer and now um, CEO. That's wonderful. Your um, path sounds so well organized and defined, it, um, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, right. In retrospect, sure, it all made sense. Right. As we look back, it all makes sense. So so given that, talk to us a little bit about, you know, life impacts us all along the way. Tell us a, a chapter of your story or a chapter of your life that might surprise some of our listeners. Well, I think, uh, let's see, I, as opposed to a chapter, I think there's just a sort of a recurring theme that um, that I have that I have noticed in, in reflecting on, on my path. And that I think is in multiple times in my life where I've been able to kind of, um, reflect and observe from a perspective that allowed me to step out of what I was doing and kind of take a left turn or take a right turn or do something really different in service of what, what I was observing and what I was feeling at the time and, and, and doing something kind of out of, you know, unexpected. And so I think that, that happening multiple times in my life, whether it was in college when I needed to step away from college for a while to go travel because it just I just wasn't finding something interesting that I wanted to study and allowing myself to do that and then stumbling on, you know, becoming a doctor, that that was really what I wanted to do. That had never occurred to me before and it wouldn't have occurred to me if I hadn't allowed myself to to take that left turn and go travel and do other things. And I think that's it's kind of the same thing, making that pivot from being a full-time physician to now a full-time leader, that that was not obvious, but I, I stepped away for a moment, even just kind of mentally and emotionally to say, where, where do I need to be now? And, um, and then pursued that. So good. I love already in our conversation, as, as I think about leadership, you're bringing in these words like reflection, observing, unexpected. I love those kinds of words to really partner with a lot of the technical language that's out there in leadership. That's so good. Mm. So before we get into more of those reflective kinds of insights, I love to explore um, a bit more about connecting as as people. So I'm wondering, mm-hmm. the spirit of getting to know you more, if you might be willing to tell us two truths and one lie, and I'm going to guess the lie. I'm going to try to guess the lie. 
Okay, let's see. Um, I, I used to be a bartender. I currently brew my own beer. Uh, and I, I just got my first tattoo this summer. Oh my gosh. Okay, these are all really fun ones. <laughs> okay, so used to be a bartender, currently brew beer, and just got a tattoo. I'm going to say the lie is that you currently brew beer. Oh, you're good. I currently brew kombucha, not beer. So. Oh, <laughs> close, but not the same. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's so fun. So fun. Excellent. So I have to ask, what did you get a tattoo of? So it's funny. I've never been, I've never thought of getting a tattoo. Um, but my, uh, my youngest son, um, I have two boys and my youngest, uh, just left for college and, and we are newly, um, empty nesters and uh and i was inspired to mark that moment uh with a tattoo and i have a tattoo of a um of a dandelion kind of seed head with two of the seeds floating away and and it's just to kind of kind of capture that moment i i commented to my friend that you know so many things in life leave marks on your body um that you didn't choose and so this is one of those moments where i wanted to leave a mark on my body that i did choose oh my gosh you are a creative soul. That is so good. That is so good. I love it. Well, thank you for sharing that. Sure. Okay, so now we'll make sort of a gentle left turn to explore some things around just observations, insights, and perspectives you've had. So you talked about your leadership journey from a pediatrician to where you are. Talk to us a little bit about what do you wish you had known what, what, when you started your first leadership role? Well, you know, it's not that I wish I had known it because it might have deterred me from pursuing it, but um, I think it was a little bit of a surprise to, to learn how different it actually is than you think it's going to be. Um, but I don't know that I would have benefited from that insight uh, going into it. But I think it's really, really difficult to, for physicians to lead their peers. I just think it's a difficult thing to do. We, we, are, um, we are colleagues we have kind of mutual respect for each other. We, we give each other kind of the room to, 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 to be and do uh, when, when you're colleagues. And when you get into a leadership position, sometimes you're, you're asked to, say, champion change that um, is not something that your colleagues uh, want to pursue. And, and so it, the importance of, of learning how to influence informally, even though you have a formal leadership role, super important. The, the understanding of how really kind of lonely it is that, that even though they're your colleagues, when you get into a leadership role, you are kind of other, and it's really hard to maintain um, some of the relationships that, that you had before, and you have to work really hard to do that. So, like I say, I don't know that I would have been, I would have been served by really understanding how difficult it was going to be, but in retrospect, that's probably what I didn't know then. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's probably true for a lot of life things that that we might not have we might have we might have responded or engaged differently if we'd known it then, but now we can organize it and put it together. What a great perspective. So, so as you talk about championing change and how there can be moments of loneliness, that sounds like some of the maybe harder parts of leadership. Talk to us about a common myth that you've seen about being a leader that you would like to debunk. Well, I think one of the um, more destructive myths is this notion of when physicians become 
leaders that they, you know, they go to the dark side or they become a suit, that they have to kind of either be an advocate for for doctors or be an administrator. And I think that sometimes it can certainly feel that way from both sides, but it's not an either or thing. And it's it's not even a sitting on a fence kind of thing. I think when, when a, a physician uh, moves into a leadership role and starts to expand their view of what kind of what healthcare is and, um, and the kind of the forces of change outside of the clinic, outside of the organization, kind of what's happening on a federal level. You start to see what's really happening, I guess, out on the battlefield. And then you return to your, to the trenches and try to explain it to your colleagues that maybe haven't been out of the trenches. And they just don't, they just, you know, they kind of question your, your, um, the, the, your perspective and your loyalty and, and when it's really, those leaders have, have spent some time elsewhere and and it, that's in the in the best in the best scenarios that that's what's that that's what's prompting change is an expanded view of what's going on. So I just wish that we would extend grace to each other a little bit more than we do sometimes. Uh, where if you're if you're championing change, then suddenly you've you know you've you've joined the dark side and and you can't be trusted. And I think that's unfortunate. I think that happens a lot. I can visualize a bumper sticker that says "Extend Grace." <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would wear that T-shirt. I, I really would. I would wear that T-shirt too. That's a good one. So, so you're really opening up this space to think about physician leadership in some new ways. Talk to us a little bit more about any unique opportunities that you see for physicians or physicians with leadership roles that, that maybe they don't see, but what are some unique opportunities that you do see for others? I think the opportunity for personal growth is really significant in, in really any leadership role. If you're open to it, if that, if, if you see that as being, you know, kind of one of the benefits, um, cause, cause you can take a leadership role and, and think that you have everything that you need to, to do that, but you never do. And I think that in leadership, you know, I'm not talking about senior leadership. I'm talking about really any leadership role for physicians. There's this great opportunity to develop skills that we don't get to develop in the clinical world. I mean, we are all we are all leaders in our clinical microcosm in the space of our of our um, exam rooms and in the in the relationships with our patients. But I don't think we really we that we really appreciate the the informal um, um, leadership that we all have, the influence that we all, that we all kind of carry. Um, I see it all the time where people just don't see that how they, how they interact with other people in the clinic or how they, the way they express themselves really creates a culture in their clinic. And, and that's, um, they don't see that impact. And so I think when you step into a leadership role, you have the opportunity to really again, reflect and watch and observe like, wow, I can really make a difference. I can really influence um, the culture around me. I can influence how, how people experience their day. My, my medical assistants and my front office people, like it, it, how, I, how I interact with them and how I champion things in my own clinic um, can really change the, um, the atmosphere. So I think that's an opportunity we, that, that, that we just don't get if, unless we step away and really think about our role as leaders. Hmm. That's awesome. I've, I've heard you mention the word culture a couple times. Talk to us a little bit about what you're passionate about when you think of culture or when you pivot from that thought of culture. What are some of those things that you're passionate about? Well, in, in reflecting on culture, it's really what, 
what Oregon Medical Group has done to become something different. And, and it can be a really kind of ethereal you know, idea um, of, of, well, what is, an, you know, what is the culture of an organization? How do you get at it? How do you change it? But I've watched the impact of being very intentional and, and being able to describe the current culture, describe what's great about it, describe what needs to change, and then identify how do we, how do we act differently with each other if that's what we want to accomplish. So it's, it's, it's making it very, you know, from, from, from the implicit to the explicit or, or, or really kind of bringing it to the forefront to say we can, we can do this differently. How, what do we want? Because people think of the culture as being the unspoken thing, and in a way it is. It's the way we interact with each other every day. But if we think about you know, identifying how do we want this to feel, and so what does that require of us that's, that's different than what we're doing now, things change. And so it's, it's, it's not quite as conceptual as people think. You can really, you can really tactically go after culture change. And, and the impact is, is so significant. I mean, it, it changes everything. It changes who wants to be part of that group, changes who you, um, who you attract to that group, and it becomes kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Whether it's a good culture or it's a bad culture, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So better to be really intentional about it. Ash, I can almost see a blueprint as you're talking through about how someone could go about this. So talk to us a little bit about either how you have observed people tactically going after changing culture, how you've done it, or maybe some tips about how other people can go about tackling this notion of going after and changing culture. Sure. Well, I think probably the best way to do that is to, is to just kind of quickly tell the story of what's gone on here. You know, we, we are a physician-owned medical group and had always been physician-owned and administratively managed and very, very independent-minded doctors. That's who we that's who we attracted here. That's why I came here. I liked, I liked the idea of being, you know, a big fish in a little pond kind of thing and, and creating your own clinic just the way you wanted it. And that worked well for us for a long time until kind of the late 2000s when we started to realize that some of the things that were being asked of us, we didn't really, we weren't able to, to produce, like starting to talk about, you know, quality improvements and process improvements and reporting and things like that, that we just didn't it just wasn't part of our of our culture. Um, we all thought we provided excellent care, but we just didn't measure it and didn't um, didn't talk about it much. And then we we implemented our first electronic health record in 2011. And when you ask 100 different doctors to um, you know use an EMR when we all do things 100 different ways, you can imagine that that chaos ensued. And uh, and we kind of hit a low point in our morale as an organization. We were so frustrated, and there was really no way forward. And uh, it was that t- at that time that the board of directors had the insight to say, you know, we need to change, like fundamentally change, in order to be successful in, in, in what's coming. And it, it was this vague recognition that it was culture, and there was this vague recognition that we couldn't outsource this to administration, who we had hired to run the business, that we needed to do this ourselves. And so um, the board had the insight to, to decide that we needed a full-time physician embedded in administration to champion this. So we weren't talking about cultural transformation or using these buzz, buzzwords. We just knew that we got to get a physician to do this because none of us want to listen to anybody but another physician. So, um, so that was that first role, that, that full-time medical director that was um, created here. And, the, and that was my role. And the first thing I did was look around and, and identify 
a, an informal leader from every clinic to get together and start to talk. And that's what we did. We, we, we said, what do we love about Oregon Medical Group and what do we think needs to change? And we did, you know, like writing on the, you know, on the, on the chalkboard kind of thing and making lists. And, 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 and from there, we distilled down a, our very first physician-derived vision which was that we collaborate to provide the highest quality patient-centered care. So just an aspirational statement like that of saying, you know, we know that it's collaboration that's getting in the way of, of getting after patient experience and the highest quality care just because we're not working together. So then we said, well, if that's what we want to accomplish, what do we need to do different? How do we, how do we need to interact differently if collaboration is, is, is what we want and we don't do it now? And so we created our, um, our physician compact, which was just, done by the physicians to say, in order to achieve this, here's what we need to do differently. Uh, and here's what the organization, meaning the leadership needs to do differently. And it's a document that, um, that went back and forth to the frontline doctors and got feedback. And I got, I got, I got a lot of sort of angry feedback of like, what are we becoming? You know, this is, this looks like corporate medicine to me and, you know, that we're even embarking on this. So there was a lot of discomfort, but we persisted. And, uh, and then finished this document that said, okay, this is kind of the new rules of engagement. This is how we're going to be with each other. And these are these new expectations. And then of course the, you know, the, the magic happens when you take that and you operationalize it. So the first thing we did was went after opioid prescribing because we were all doing it differently. All right, Taylor here jumping in again uh, to hear the rest of this conversation between Sandy and Karen. Go ahead and check out part two. If you enjoyed the episode, we would love you to leave an honest review on your podcast app or shoot us an email with your thoughts, ideas for new guests or questions that you'd like to have answered by Sandy at support at sandyscottllc.com. Thanks and have a great day.